Um, I'm going to be really frank and just admit I have uh, no idea what started me um, thinking about this topic tonight. It's like 3 a.m. on, I'm pretty sure, the 10th of January. And I was watching YouTube videos by, like, a skin expert, a dermatologist maybe, or something. Or maybe she's just a very involved medical professional who is weirdly obsessed with human skin. And she has a lot of friends in high places who are professional dermatologists and um, plastic surgeons. Like, I don't know what her deal is. I don't even remember her name. I don't even remember her name. <laughs> but I was watching a video on like the care that celebrities use in their wording when they claim that they've never had work done, but that's obviously bullshit. You know, maybe they didn't get Botox and they're like, oh, I've never had Botox, but they've had like a Brazilian butt lift. Or maybe they're like, you know, I've never had surgery done and actually they had an injection and that's not considered surgery. So like... You know, they've got to keep those endorsements rolling for all the products that they, they advertise and utilize their appearances for because that's where they make the big bucks. You think celebrities get paid for making movies? Nah, Holmes. They get paid for selling at-home face creams. Team creams. Somehow, <laughs> somehow I was watching this video and I was weirdly thinking about race. I don't, I don't remember what the hell the connection even was. And it just kind of reminded me of when I was in high school, before I ever even I entered high school, like in late eighth grade, I had made a decision that when I go to high school, I was going to run this, this experiment, this social, sociological, psychological experiment, where I was going to refuse to disclose my ethnicity not only verbally in high school, but also I was going to refuse to disclose my ethnicity on, um, like, private papers with the school, like, on any kind of formal documents. Um, because in, in American high schools, this might seem something that's, that this might sound like something insane to anyone who's, like, European or, you know, from a different country that listens to this podcast, this particular episode. But in America, um... Most high schools, as a habit, even though it's illegal actually to do this, um, a lot of high schools in America will ask their students to disclose on, you know, private official forms that all staff members can look at. Um, they will ask their students to disclose uh, their ethnicity, which is to say like the heritage um, and the culture and... Um, you know, the upbringing that they've inherited, you know, from their parents at the racial level or at the perspective perspective of the, the racial level. So, like, you know, if you're half black, you can put down that you're, you know, black, that you're white, that you're black and white, or that you're other, or that you're black slash white. You could write that you're Mexican, that you're um, Native American, a Pacific Islander, uh, or that you're, you know, just white, <laughs> which is probably the most racist thing there. Uh, in the forms. And uh, most students don't have a problem with it, uh, with just saying whatever it is that they think that they are. Um, some do, but they don't really have much of a choice because people look at them and they're just like, oh, you're definitely Asian. Oh, you're definitely black. Um, they, they can't hide, you know, what they are. 
you know, they could probably hide the extreme details of, you know, who they are in their heritage. You know, a person who might be generalized as who might be generalized as Asian could in fact be specifically Korean. They could be Vietnamese, Chinese, Taiwanese, you know, they could be Malaysian. Like, you don't fucking know. They could be fucking Filipino, but all people care about when they look at your face is, oh, you Asian. You Asian as fuck, bro. <laughs> you know, and it and it's kind of like that for a lot of people. And I know it can be very exhausting um, for those Americans. My heart goes out to them. <laughs> Literally something I could not relate to when I was in high school. <laughs> or I could relate to it, but I definitely was a lot less empathetic um, as a child. Um, but to kind of explain, um, my experiment a little more and why I chose to do it, um, when I was a kid, like elementary and middle school, uh, for the most part, I attended schools that were like predominantly Hispanic, you know, then maybe black and white. And so it was very obvious from looking at me, if these were the comparisons that I was, you know, most likely Mexican probably not half black and half white. Um, and that assumption was generally correct. <laughs> but once I attended a certain middle school in eighth grade, uh, it was my first time attending a school where, you know, there were children from Hawaii, from Tonga, from um, Samoa, from the islands of Samoa and Tonga, um, you know, kids who were Filipino, it was the first time that I saw like such a racially diverse uh, cast of students who weren't like just Mexican, who weren't just white, just black, you know, suddenly you had a Asians and Islanders um, and we were all going to school together and there were all these, um, you know, nuances and cultures that were being brought together that I had never been previously exposed to. That being said, <laughs> with the advent of this sudden blossoming diversity, you know, more so than I had ever previously experienced, I also newly experienced the concept, the idea that my ethnicity at first glance is actually pretty racially ambiguous. Um, it was the very first time that I... I had students who didn't just assume correctly that I was Mexican-American or just, you know, incorrectly that I was straight up just Mexican, you know, as if I didn't belong in the country, as if I wasn't, I couldn't possibly have been fucking born here, which always upset me when I was younger and will still get under my skin today, to be honest, because um, it's an incredibly racist thing to just assume of people. Um, it was the first time that I was given the concept that maybe perhaps I could escape being pigeonholed by what people thought of me and assumed about me just at first glance because they had no clue. They couldn't have a clue if there were so many possibilities about what I could possibly be. They couldn't just treat me like I was Mexican and how they thought maybe at a subliminal level that maybe Mexicans deserve to be treated like in their minds. They couldn't just treat me like I was black. They couldn't just treat me like I was Native American or, you know, maybe I was half white or part Asian 
Like, because they didn't know. <laughs> they didn't know what to think when they saw me. It was just a human being, a mystery meat human being. And it was a great point of curiosity. It drove some people a little bit crazy. <laughs> Not pitchforks level crazy like I thought they would be, but it drove some people a little bit insane. Um, like enough that it drove a teacher twice to interrupt his class to allow the students to play a game of what's your race starring me, the mystery meat human where classmates took guesses as to what my ethnicity was. And I just said no, whether or not they got the right answer or not. Um, but yeah, like I had decided after having that eye opening experience in the eighth grade that I was like, you know what? For high school, I will refuse to disclose what my ethnicity is on papers, and I will never confirm it vi uh, verbally out loud either. Um, because I had also learned that you didn't have to disclose what your ethnicity was on those private forms. You could just choose not to disclose. I mean, the only benefit that high schools have for these things is that they get more funding from schools, or at least they used to get more funding from the government for the schools. If they could report to like the census or whatever, oh yeah, you know, we're a very diverse school. Look at all these students of color we have. Now pay us, bitch. <laughs> uh, and so when I realized that like I didn't have to disclose my ethnicity and that I had to force people to, you know, perhaps confront their biases if they had any or confront the way that they thought about race. And more importantly, I could stop being pigeonholed and preeminently attacked by people who made assumptions about, you know, Hispanic people. You know, why wouldn't, like, what if I did it? Why shouldn't I do it? And so I, I did. All four years of high school, I kept it a, a secret from my classmates. I told friends that I'd had after, like, three years of knowing them. I disclosed it to them, and I was like, just please don't talk about it at school because this is a thing that I'm doing. They're like... But why, though? <laughs> and, I mean, I told them. And they, they kind of understand and they kind of didn't get it because quite a lot of my friends were white <laughs> and had never uh, really been forced to answer the race question for themselves. They were just assumed to be Americans. You know, I think really only one or two of my friends kind of got it because one was a quarter Japanese and, like, three-fourths Dutch or something. Um... So, I mean, he had immigrant parents, or at least a, a, an immigrant father and an immigrant grandparent on both sides of the family. Um, so the, the issue of race was always very poignant for him. But, you know, I had another um, pair of white friends whose grandparents or maybe great-grandparents immigrated here from, like, Holland or something. They were Dutch. And so... Um, even though they were born in America, they very much identified with their uh, racial identity of being Dutch. You know, which is which is super freaking cool. Even though, like, their parents spoke the language, but they never learned it. Um, the, the point is that they could identify with the concept of, you know, being the children of immigrants, the grandchildren of, of immigrants, you know, and having a heritage and a culture that you can call back to and that, you know, you know, you were raised in, um, and these certain familial ideals that trace back to like a whole other country, you know, within the last three generations, you know, that was something that they could relate to. Um, and that was a blessing. 
It still is. Uh, shout out to the Smolders clan. I love you guys. Um, <laughs> but um, I also had friends who were like adopted or they were foster kids. Um, I'm not trying to call anybody out in particular, because I'm although I am thinking of two specific people when I say this. Um, and I mean, they had questions about their identity. They were very much mystery meat humans in their own respective right. Um, and they still, you know, chose identities to align themselves with like one, because the parents were Irish would just say, Oh, I'm Irish, probably not by blood, but by culture, I'm Irish. The other friend, you know, the only thing she knew about herself was that she was native American of some sort because I guess she had genetic testing done or something at a young age. And, and so she just kind of went with that. And I mean, power to the both of them for choosing their identities in this way. Um, for me, I wanted to be as separated as possible from my, not my identity, but I wanted to be separated as far as possible from public perception of that identity because I was so sick and tired as a 13 and 14 year old child of how that identity was mishandled by American society as a whole. I didn't like how American society treated um, Mexican and Hispanic people and South American people and Central American people. I hated it. <laughs> I hated the racism. I still do. I still hate the racism. Um, I'm just no longer willing to diminish myself to make terrible people feel more comfortable like if you have a problem you have a personal problem but it's got nothing to do with me so like sit with that or grow and learn to handle that but like I'm not gonna make you feel better by pretending to be something I'm not you know or to pretend that I'm I don't have the culture and the heritage that I was brought up with like if you have a personal problem get some fucking therapy <laughs> because I'm I'm not here for it um you know but when I you know I say that now because I'm in my 30s I just kind of give less and less of a fuck as I get older with uh making people feel comfortable around me at all costs but when I was a teenager my anger towards racism and my youth my inexperience my questions about myself as well as about people and about race led me to this exper experiment where I refused to disclose my ethnicity either you know publicly verbally or on paper so uh, I entered high school set the exper experiment in motion and I learned so much about people about human beings um, when I started out the experiment I was really very selfish about it. I really wanted to learn more about myself um, at a human level. And I wanted to, you know, humanize myself and to be humanized by others. But I all, never really planned on humanizing others, strangely enough. Like I planned on humanizing myself and then learning about others at an intellectual level. Like I was trying to study people as if I was a scientist, but I never expected to humanize other people um, the way that I ended up doing through this experiment um, and this experience. Because uh, I learned so much. I learned that not all people are necessarily racist. 
that sometimes they're just curious because they want to learn from you. They think that they can learn something from you if you're of a different ethnicity, that you can show them about your culture, share the foods, share the language. You know, it's not necessarily so overwhelmingly nefarious the way that I thought of it as a child, the way that I thought of society when I was, you know, 13 and 14 years old. You know, the vast majority of people are honestly not that bad. And they're not racist, <laughs> or at least they're not inclined to be, not on purpose. You know, most people want to be better. Uh, most people want to learn. And that really shocked me by the time I was 18 to figure all that out. Um, I... I had gone into the experiment thinking, you know, I was probably going to drive someone crazy to like pitchforks and torches level of angry, like would just drive them crazy. But, um, that never happened. Um, I did stop two classes, um, accidentally because of my experiment and people's overwhelming curiosity about me. You know, the fact that teachers couldn't just cheat and look at my private files as trusted staff members and just figure it out that way and, you know, answer the question for themselves meant that, you know, for the first time in a very obvious way, by my experience as a child, the teachers were just as clueless as the students. It um, really opened my eyes as a high schooler to the fact that teachers are still just human beings who have curiosities themselves, you know, who also want to learn, even from their students, who want to um, experience other cultures and new experiences, even through their students, that they're just as hopeful to learn. They also want to share. They also want to, you know, experience new things through even their students. Um, you know, that most of all, teachers are human beings at every age, they're still human, and so are other students, you know, people your age. <sighs> like I said, it was a very eye-opening experience. Um, and I think it's it's really impacted the way that I treat people, you know, moving forward in my 20s and 30s. It's um, definitely colored, like, the friends that I choose. Um, the way that I handle my friendships, you know, today, I'm really grateful that I did that experiment. Like if I had the chance to go back and do it all over again, I would totally fucking do it. Uh, I do feel like in some ways I've actually chilled out a lot regarding the concept of race. I'm not so uptight about it. Um, even though I basically revealed earlier that I would totally choose violence. <laughs> If someone asked me what my ethnicity was, I would just, like, tell them. You know, it's... I don't treat it like it's some naughty secret to be held. Like, and if people have a problem with my ethnicity once they hear about it, I'm like, well, that sounds like that's your personal problem, but it's not mine. <laughs> um, I am so proud of my culture. Um, my family immigrated here from Durango, Mexico, which is a state in Mexico. Uh, specifically from a small town called um, Nuevo Ideal. My, sorry, my Spanish is horrendous, which I think means like new ideal in Spanish. And um, 
at the genetic level, I'm like very close to 50% Native American. It's like 40 something now. I think it used to be a little bit higher, like 40 now, and it's gone down to like 40 or something. Um, you know, as more discoveries get made about genetics and more people get tested and uh, more patterns get found that maybe weren't discovered before, um, the information keeps adapting and changing, like at least annually. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the core concepts of, you know, you're more or less half European because you're mostly Spanish and you're also mostly half Native American because you're Mexican. That kind of remains at the center of my identity. And I mean, when it's what I grew up with, I mean, I ate tamales every Christmas and, you know, helped to make them with my grandmother, you know, every holiday season. I... <laughs> You know, did folklorico dances when I was a child. I'm like, how Mexican am I? How Mexican am I? I drank horchata. I grew up on Mexican rice and beans. And refried beans. <laughs> you know, I listened to to Vicente Fernandez as a kid growing up very much against my will. Although I, I respect that man's skill. Uh, today, may he rest in peace. He actually died, I think, a couple weeks ago. Um, completely devastating all the Mexican grannies. Because that's pretty much their Elvis. That's Mexican Elvis right now, Vicente Fernandez. He has been for like the last 50 plus years. I think that man was like in his 90s when he died. Um, he lived a long and storied career. And I mean, he absolutely lived his life his way. He totally did it his way. He was probably closer to, like, a Frank Sinatra just in terms of his skill level than, like, freaking Elvis. But in terms of pop sheer popularity, like, think Elvis, the Beatles, but over, like, a course of, like, 50-plus years. Like, with that level of hype extended across, like, 50 fucking years. Like, five decades of Justin Bieber levels of popularity when Justin Bieber first came out. Like, think that, and that's Vicente Fernandez. That's Chente. <laughs> And his demographic was like my grandmother, people my grandmother's age, <laughs> you know, women who were born in like the 50s and 60s. That was like his primary, his primary demographic. <laughs> oh, God rest his soul. And a blessing to his family and, and my condolences to his family, even though he lived to be a very old man and lived a very full and full life and a very storied career. Like, he did leave behind, you know, children and grandchildren. I'm sure they were, they were devastated to lose him. So, my condolences to the family. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, I grew up on Vicente Fernandez and, you know, some Mexican-American artists as well. I'm thinking of, like, Jenny Rivera. I'm thinking Selena. You know, Selena was born in Texas. And Jenny Rivera, I think I found out she was born in like San Diego or somewhere in Southern California. I thought she was like from Mexico, Mexican when I was a kid. <laughs> My mom was a really big fan of her music. And Selena, I think my grandmother was kind of got really into her, but mostly I was a huge fan of Selena. 
She was more my stand. I had a cousin who was super duper into um, Gloria Trevi. Because um, I just loved her music when I was a kid. Pelo Suelto is a fucking gem and it always will be. My mom's also a pretty big fan of Gloria Trevi. And she has such great music and, you know, was boundary breaking, not just for the time, but even by today's standards. I mean, for fuck's sakes, like in the early 2000s, Gloria Trevi wrote a song from the perspective of either a trans female or a um, a male drag queen called, I mean, translated into English, the title is All Will Love Me. Like, everyone is going to love me. Or, uh, well, no, it's more like All Will Love Me. Kind of think like, um, oh my god, I forgot that character's name from Lord of the Rings. Uh, the blonde elfin-like character the goddess-like character and she's like oh will love me and despair you know think of the title of this gloria trevi song is kind of like that but in spanish it's like all will love me not the and despair part but it's like all will, all shall love me kind of thing todos me amaran i think that's the name of the song um god these were amazing artists God rest Selena too, because obviously she died in the 90s. And if you haven't heard of Selena Quintanilla or Selena y los Dinos, uh, can't recommend that music anymore highly. It was uh, truly boundary breaking at the time. She was probably the first um, Mexican-American artist and just Latin artist in general to really bring together, you know, the United States of America and Mexico in loving one artist who was bilingual, who, well, I hate to stretch to say that she was a bilingual person. She sang in Spanish, but her brother wrote all the songs. He was the bilingual one in the family. And she grew up predominantly speaking English. She was a comfortable English speaker. Uh, she could probably speak Spanish at the level of like a kindergartner the same way that I can. Um, but she actually really wasn't that fluent in Spanish. She was an American girl. <laughs> She was an American Texan girl, um, <laughs> which, you know, led to some funny moments throughout her career, which, you know, tragically was cut short. I think she died. She was murdered when she was like 24 years old or something. She was very young. She was in her early 20s when she died. She was potentially pregnant. Like, that was a true tragedy. I mean, she was the first art Lat Latina artist to truly cross over. And to have crossover appeal, you know, between the American markets and the Mexican markets, you know, to be loved simultaneously by both the United States and Mexico in the mid 90s. I mean, I, I touched on super briefly the, the fact that I had experienced racism as a child to the point where I grew such a deep hatred towards racism and towards people's false perceptions of my ethnicity and people who shared my ethnicity that all through high school, I straight up refused to even say what my ethnicity was just because I wanted to be treated like a human fucking being as if that was so wrong. <laughs> um, so, you know, to be a person of color and specifically to be Latina, born and raised in the United States, not being recognized as a United States citizen, you know, even by my own classmates because of their parents shitty upbringing and their parents shitty upbringing of their own children that they bred their own racism and racist ideals into racist notions into you know carrying forth their parents fucked up thinking and 
you know, perhaps not thinking for themselves, not having the ability to. I mean, not knowing what to think. You know, when we're kids, we tend to assume that our parents are correct all the time, that our parents know everything. And it's it's a real blow to, I don't know, the ego, the super ego. I don't know what it's a blow to in our minds, but it really knocks us for a loop when we find out that our parents are ignorant too, that they're just big kids who got old <laughs> and who never really figured things, certain things out. And that, you know, we can become better educated or less ignorant than our parents, you know, were or are depending on if they ever changed or not. And then along comes a little mystery, meet human you meet in high school, you know, and maybe you were curious about their ethnicity and maybe you, you really didn't care one way or another. You were just like, oh, this person's rad and you befriended them. And then you find out like 10 plus years later that there, there was a thing that they were doing an experiment where they refused to disclose their ethnicity. They're like confronted with realizing that they had always just assumed you were a person of color, but they had never really cared about what that color was what that heritage was they just liked you as a person even though they you know either didn't know about your culture or maybe they assumed about your culture and didn't even realize that they had done that <laughs> you know not to be malevolent or malicious you know it just was <laughs> it was just a fact and it just was and there was no malevolence intended behind the thinking and behind the assumptions you know, and there certainly was no malice um, or maliciousness expressed by said people, said friends. But, you know, there was a certain thinking that had occurred. There were certain assumptions made. And then those people realized, oh, fuck, <laughs> I didn't even know you were doing that. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm thinking of like one person in particular. I'm not trying to call her out. <laughs> God bless her. I love her. She's a sweet lady. Um. Oh, man. Yeah. Racial identity, ethnic identity, culture, uh, heritage. Um, heady topic. Why do I keep doing these heady topics? Like, I don't know, man. This is just the shit that interests me. Okay, just go with it if you want to. Like, just go with it. Just deal with it. Like, ah, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, I was just kind of thinking to myself about, like, the difference between... The concepts of race as a topic, which I'm very comfortable with and have realistically always been comfortable with, even since I was a kid. And it's something that I think all people are comfortable with and really enjoy race as a topic. You know, learning about people, learning about their cultures, their heritages, um, their ethnicities, you know, just as a, as a topic of casual interest. I think it's something that really fascinates most people as I discovered in high school, by complete accident, <laughs> by happy accident, I would say, uh, versus, so there's the concept of the topic of race, which is a perfectly innocent and beloved thing world over, versus the issue of race, which is uh, not so beloved. Because when race is made into an issue, and it it is, like, all over the world, it's made into an issue. And if it's not necessarily race that's the issue, it's it's skin coloring that is the issue. 
I mean, colorism is a massive problem um, in in most <laughs> countries where it's, you know, people of color. Um, I know it's an issue in China. It's an issue in Korea. A huge fucking issue in Korea. It's a huge fucking issue in India, for sure. And South Asia in general. Um, for fucking damn well sure it's an issue in Mexico and in Mexican families. Uh, because I absolutely experienced um, some measure of colorism within my community and from without my community. Um, I think varying approaches intended by both. Um, you know, within Mexican culture, there's definitely a push to have... Excuse me. Bah. Oh, God. You know what? Don't even excuse that. Just... <laughs> there was definitely this push within the Latin American communities to have the children be as light-skinned as possible. There's definitely preference of light-skinned children versus very dark-skinned children. There's, you know, encouraging dark-skinned children to not be out in the sun as much, lest they get darker skinned. There's, like, this aversion towards having very dark-skinned children, and that completely screws over the Afro-Latino community completely in a markedly unfair way. I mean, for the longest time, I mean, I, I talked about how meaningful it was, you know, to me as a young Mexican American girl growing up in the, you know, nineties of California to have representation in the form of Selena Quintanilla and her being, you know, the first major crossover artist with crossover appeal between America and the United, uh, and, uh, Mexico, sorry, the United States and Mexico, you know, but, the Afro-Latino community, their only representation for the longest time was an artist named Celia Cruz, who was Afro-Latina, who was particularly famous for a song called um, Carnaval, which is one of the most joyful songs I've ever fucking heard in my life. And uh, if you ever just, even if you don't speak Spanish, like a single fucking word, just type it Carnival or Carnaval, C-A-R-N-A-V-A-L. Again, that's C. A R N as in no A V A L by Celia Cruz. It's um C E L I A and Cruz is spelled C R U Z. Um just type that in to like YouTube or Spotify or whatever your music app of choices for easy listening and just like jam out to that for several minutes or hours. Like I don't know. Like, live live your life however you want, but if you want to feel joy, and if you want to know what happiness is, listen to that song, because holy shit will you find out. <laughs> it is, you know, one of the most joyous songs I've ever had the, the distinct pleasure of um, having the privilege to listen to in my life. I cannot recommend that song anymore highly. Uh, for sure, just give it a listen if you can. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Afro-Latino community... The only, um, like, positive representation that they had in popular media for the longest time was Celia Cruz. And I think she died over 10 years ago. You know, fast forward to today, uh, or in the more recent years, we've had an American Afro-Latina named Amara La Negra. And I think she was on um, some kind of TV show that I never watched. But I remember reading about her appearance on the show, and I remember watching some short clips of her being on that show 
and some discussions that got prompted uh, just because of her very existence. Like I'm, I'm Latin American, you know, by heritage, you know, I'm Mexican American by heritage. I'm American by nationality. I was born in the United States. I was born in California, specifically San Jose. You know, my nationality is American citizen. My ethnicity is Native American, Mexican, uh, Spanish, <laughs> Spanish European. Um, and my heritage is Mexican. <laughs> you know, and because I have this identity and this awareness with the culture and awareness of the culture, I know that Afro-Latino people exist. I grew up around them. <laughs> I, I grew up around people who were Afro-Latino or who could pass for Afro-Latino. You know, I have members of my family who are very light-skinned and who are very dark-skinned. Like, I thought one of my mom's brothers was straight up black. <laughs> like, because he had very swarthy skin. Uh, you know, very dark skin. He still does, but he did back then too. Um... So I've had an awareness from a very young age of uh, the rainbow of skin tones that exists um, within the Latino community, you know, from from those who can easily pass for white. I mean, I have a cousin who, when she was in high school, had blonde hair, like strawberry blonde hair and big blue eyes, you know, to the point where uh, although her hair got darker over the years, I always thought of her as like blonde haired, blue eyed, you know, very fair skinned. Uh, she could pass for white very easily um recently well in the last year or so with the passing of her mother um wait was that last year or was that two years ago oh shit no that was like two years ago that was 2020 not in 2021 <laughs> so that about two years ago her mother passed away and her mother was one of my favorite aunts ever uh, so we went to the funeral and they had made this beautiful collage uh, and it included a beautiful photo of my cousin when she was about 16 years old and her mother, my aunt. I recognized my aunt right away, but I was looking at this, you know, cherubic little blonde girl with the blue eyes and I asked my mom, who's the little Swedish kid next to my aunt? And my mom takes a look. She goes, that's your cousin, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Which she then immediately told my cousin about, and my cousin had the first, like, wheezing belly laugh that she'd had since tragically getting the news that her mother had passed. It was a good kind of lightning moment for us all uh, in the midst of tragedy. Um, but I bring all that up to say that from a young age, I bring that all up to say that from a young age, I've been aware that there's this rainbow of skin tones in the Latin American community. So I was never shocked by it um, or surprised by it. I was just aware of it. I was like, well, yeah, duh, of course people can look like this. But when Amara, Amara La Negra, when Amara La Negra was doing her, her reality show that she was doing, she had this really explosive interaction with um, a Hispanic producer who also was aware and had to have been aware of like the existence of the Afro-Latino community, but he like literally refused to acknowledge that she was um, any kind of Latin American or Hispanic just because she passed for black. Like she spoke fluent Spanish. Her Spanish was fucking perfect. I think she was like Puerto Rican or Dominican, 
in her heritage, but like she could pass for black, but she was, you know, Spanish speaking, Latin American, you know, of his, some Hispanic heritage, but she passed for black. And this guy like was so fucking colorist that he refused to accept Amara La Negra's culture, her upbringing, her family. He just completely fucking denied all of that shit to her face. And I was so, so mad. I was so tilted by that. Um, I'm really glad that she seems to be getting opportunities as like an actress, as a as a performer, as an entertainer. I know more recently I had seen her in a bit um, on YouTube for this show that was done, written, directed by black women. Uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on the fucking show. Um, hold on. I'm going to just like hold up. This is Paula from the future coming back. So I really wanted to promote um, that show I was talking about um, in the previous segment. Um, so the show was called A Black Lady Sketch Show, which is pretty direct. Um, but yeah, Amara La Negra um, acts in a bit in one, to, one of the sketches, which was called um, The Bad Bitch Support Group, which is completely hysterical if you're a woman and it's funny as hell even if you're a guy uh you don't have to be a woman to find that segment funny but it would probably help you to understand certain things better um (laughs) it was just a a very very funny and very tongue-in-cheek bit and it was so funny um so if you want to look up the bad bitch support group it is on youtube as an advertisement it was released from a black lady sketch show which i think was i think it aired on hbo i don't know if it's available on hbo max i will probably look that up after this segment and after the end of this podcast um but check out the uh the bad bitch support group from a black lady sketch show on youtube um amara la negra is in it laverne i'm forgetting her last name she was on um orange is the new black laverne is on there Angelica freaking, um, or Angela freaking Bassett is on there. Um, you're just, you're going to see some names and some faces. You're going to be very happy to see just iconic black women being complete, beautiful goofballs (laughs) and very tongue in cheek. It's very charming. Um, a lot of famous names. (laughs) Um, but I mean, I was really happy to see Amara La Negra, um, in that as well. And also like owning her, you know, Latin American identity, you know, with some cultural lines, uh, and you can hear it in her accent. I just, she's beautiful inside and out. I'm I'm loving the representation. Um, yeah. So that was that. Um, I mean, the topic of race, I think. The topic of race is so, so welcome. People want to talk about race. They want to learn from each other. They want to experience new cultures through people and through the connections that they make to people. I think the problem with race only comes up when it becomes considered an issue. It's when you make assumptions about people, whether you intended them to be uh, positive associations and quote-unquote positive stereotypes you know assuming that 
all Asians are smart or that they come from wealthy families, assuming that all black men have huge dicks. Like, all of it is, even these stereotypes are hurtful in their own ways because it breeds very unnecessary resentments and uh, frankly false judgments from people. You know, to just assume someone has a perfect life when they don't. <laughs> I mean, every Asian kid I ever knew had corporal punishment in the home. And we could relate to each other because I certainly had fucking cultural, I mean, a corporal punishment in the home. When I was a kid, I had la chancla. They probably had a fucking switch, like a branch, like a tree branch or like a cane. Uh, Fuck. I got the belt, and I think also so they so did they, <laughs> like ooh. you know. There's things that are shared between cultures, even with our differences, um, and I mean that goes kind of back into you know topic of race. It's good to to talk about, and it's perfectly fine to talk about when race is turned into an issue. You know, assumptions like all Hispanic girls drop out of high school at 16 when they get pregnant or they have three children by the time that they're 19. Like I'm 34 years old, no kids, never pregnant. And when people find that out, they're like, what? They get completely googly eyed. They're like, how is that even logically possible? We have to study this human being. How could she have failed to meet our very low expectations of us, of, of her by seeming almost like a normal person? And I'm just like, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you and the horse you rode in on. That very racist horse. I mean, it like I said, it breeds really unnecessary resentments. You know, not just from the people who believe in these stereotypes, but from the people upon whom those stereotypes get inflicted. You know, black men being assumed to be well hung. You know, Asians being assumed to be very well-educated and wealthy. Uh, Hispanic women being assumed to be uh, sluts, whores. The same, unfortunately, goes for black women. And I know that black women get it just as bad as Latina women in terms of, like, the whole people being shocked when they're not mother, a mother of, a single mother of three by the time they're, like, 20 years old or 30 years old. And it's complete horseshit. <laughs> You know, I think race only becomes an issue when stereotypes are believed in so deeply without apology that they're just taken for, like, honest historical fact when it's really not. It's, you know, even some stereotypes that seem like they're true, it's not because a person's ethnicity automatically ensures that they will fall into some predestined path. Like, just because you're a Hispanic girl doesn't mean you're destined to get pregnant at 16. You know, just because you're Asian doesn't guarantee you're going to go to college. Like, it just means that there might be certain factors in your life because of your heritage that might steer you towards those paths. You know, I did grow up impoverished, and generally speaking, poor girls might receive a poor education. They might not be told about sexual education or be given any kind of sexual education or access to reproductive medical care. And they might have sex at a young age. You know, whether you're white, black, Asian, whatever, 
and you might get pregnant as a result of having sex if you're a girl of who is impoverished. And that has nothing to do with skin tone. It has nothing to do with cultural heritage. It has nothing to do with, you know, where you were fucking born. If you were born poor and you received a bad education, it's more likely that that's where life will lead you at a young age. I've known plenty of white single teen moms. (laughs) And, you know, they never had the assumptions made about them that were made about me when I was growing up or that are made about me even today, even by coworkers who are like, what, you're in your 30s and no kids, never pregnant? What? What madness is this? What kind of Mexican are you? And I'm like, well, these are stereotypes I'm happy to defy. (laughs) I wish that people were more comfortable with the topic of race, which is perfectly innocent and can be very educational for multiple people. Versus automatically assuming that discussing race at all has to be an issue. It's only an issue if you make it an issue. (laughs) Is the way that I feel about it. That's just how I feel about it. I think a lot more people would agree with that concept as well. Maybe some people would disagree. But that's just how I feel about it. Okay, I think I've somehow talked weirdly way too much about this this particular segment is approaching nine minutes and the previous segment was almost 40 and I'm trying not I'm trying not to have these segments last much longer than 45 minutes I feel sorry for making them last so long um but y'all are troopers for putting up with me for this talk to you next time maybe if I feel like it (laughs) 